Impact of Influence, The Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. Uh, love that you're here with us. Always so grateful that you decided to spend time with us. Matt Harris, Seton Tucker. Hello, Seton. Hello. Where would they uh, find us? You can find us on Facebook at Murdoch Podcast or our website, which is MurdochPodcast.com. And uh, we have another case that we're working on. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll have a, an episode out by the end of this week. Which leads us to our guest today, introducer Seton. We are very excited to have Jen Wood with Fitz News on with us. So Jen, tell us a little bit about Fitz News and your role with them. So Fitz News is an independent news um, agency based out of Columbia, South Carolina. And I've been there, oh boy, I guess a little over two years and I'm their director of research. So I basically coordinate all of our research for all of our stories. Occasionally I write, um, but not as much as everybody else. <laughs> it's totally not my bag. I'm just like digging and making spreadsheets. We were talking earlier and your background is as a private investigator. Is that correct? Yep. So my degrees in criminal justice from Michigan State. Um, and after I graduated, I did a lot of work, um, different jobs, but I've worked in insurance liability claims. And also when I lived in Indianapolis, I was a private investigator for about seven years. So research is your jam. Yes. Digging deep. Yeah. Digging the dirt. Yep. I, I like finding stuff. Yeah. <laughs> or Or maybe you don't. And then you at least found out the truth, right? Sometimes you dig and there's nothing. <laughs> Rule of thumb is I never dig into friends. Yeah. I don't want to know. If you're not going to tell me, I don't want to know. Right, right. <laughs> well, I think we heard that from a few attorneys along the way that they don't like to represent friends primarily because they like to be paid. Well, if you, well, if you dig deep <laughs> enough in anybody's nose, you'll find a booger is the old saying. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Let's talk about the FOIA request you did for Alec Murdoch's jailhouse communications. Why did you decide to do this request? So I mean, part of my job is to um, submit FOIAs, come up with ideas for FOIAs, and then track them, you know, as it looks, we have so many open FOIAs, so we track them. Um, and Will and I were talking and he was like, I'm kind of curious what kind of messages Alex is getting in jail and who he's calling. And I said, well, you know, we can FOIA for that stuff. <laughs> And he yeah. said, let's do it. So um, we submitted it shortly after um, after he was sentenced by Judge Newman. Um, just we weren't quite sure what we would get back. We just kind of threw everything at the wall and saw, just to see what would stick. And when we got the uh, phone logs and messages back, I sent them to him. And I said, oh, you're going to want to read this now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when were they sent, Alec? What, what prison was he in when he was getting these letters? So I think it was after he was sentenced, but while he was still in, you know, the prison where they evaluate them before they determine where they're going to, you know, be incarcerated gotcha. more permanently. So it, um, and we just, we, we did it from the date of the sentencing to um, when, you know, whenever I submitted it. And then, I mean, obviously we're going to submit for more because it was interesting to see, what he, what he was receiving from people. Yeah, obviously the ladies that were reaching out to him 
were really interesting. Some people seemed like they were just reaching out because they wanted to offer support in some way or what, what were your takeaways? I was surprised at how many different people reached out to him offering support um, offering, you know, I, I don't believe that you're guilty. I'm here if you want to talk. Um, hmm. I, I mean, I, I have heard people question, you know, whether or not they had enough to find him guilty, but you know, that was up to the jury. The jury did, but the number of people that said, I, I believe you, I'm here if you want to talk. It shocked me. So how, about how many letters did he receive in that time? I want to say, let me look, I'm looking at it right now. I want to say like 20, and there were a couple people that sent him multiple messages. Yeah, I wonder if these people are, even the ones that reached out for support, are serial reaching out to support people that constantly reach out to inmates. It did seem like th- there was at least one who who seems like that's kind of the thing that she does. Yeah, there were a couple in there that that's that's kind of the vibe that I got. That 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 this is this is not new to them. They they know the system, and for them to be reaching out so quickly, I mean, you have to get an account to email an inmate, so they must know the process. Oh, good point. Yeah, good point. Because you wouldn't uh, if you asked me right now, how do I get a hold of a prisoner i would have no dang idea no there's a there there are there's a lot of protocol i was reading up on it this morning you have to yes you have to set up an account and it's run through a service i guess that's how they clear who was calling and and monitor because if they're getting if they're getting calls saying hey bring me a gun and help me escape you know the, the jail needs to know about that yeah yeah um how about the let's let's talk about the saucy ones yeah, the love, uh, Nicol- the love ones. Nicolette was my favorite by far. I was, <laughs> I mean, she came in hot and heavy. I think I love you. I think about you every day. I, I, ju- I mean, just, I was like, whoa. I mean, that was the first one she sent was, I think I love you. Oh, wow. What else did she say? She said, I swear in my life and on my soul, I'll never say a single word to anyone important or not important. I genuinely care for you. Okay. I well, yeah, I mean that that she just came right in and said it. I wonder if these women knew that these communications would potentially become public. They I mean you know the the case um in Colorado I'm, I'm the name's failing me um where the woman was the woman and their children were just murdered by the husband. They had FOIA the letters that he was getting and they were released. So I don't think it's I mean, I don't think it's like an unprecedented FOIA. It's, it's pretty common. Yeah, that was Chris Watts, I think. Yeah, and he did receive love letters. Um, yeah, I don't think it's uncommon. And I, I think in, in some way they must know that all of the stuff is public record. When you're in love, the heart says what it wants to say without thinking about that possibility. Exactly. <laughs> I've seen some people online bothered by the release of these messages saying that you know, they, they feel that this information is private and that even incarcerated people have a basic right to privacy. I know when the phone calls were released, you know, before the trial with family members and Alec, we didn't, you know, play any of them on our show because we felt like maybe it was an invasion of privacy. 
This feels a little different to me just because it's post-conviction and it's not actual phone calls or messages. But did you receive any backlash on that, Jen? Uh, not. I mean, obviously, you get the backlash on social media no matter what you do. <laughs> um, but, you know, this, I think, post-conviction is a lot different than the phone calls in the recordings, which, honestly, I'm still surprised that were they were released. I mean, to me, they were interesting. They were definitely very informative, but I'm still still surprised that those were released to be a FOIA. But these to me seem a little more, I mean, he's in prison, he's convicted. Um, there, you know, attorney client communications are still privileged because I know they're working on an appeal, but to me, these are public record and there's really nothing in there that I, I mean, you don't see communications from his family. I don't know if that's because they're not communicating with them, but there, to me, there is nothing in there questionable. It, it was just more interesting. I guess the only thing would be that like this woman who says she loves Alec may have some sort of mental issue and now right. it's out there and, you know, people could go at her about it. Uh, that's, that's would be the side, I guess. Yeah, that could be absolutely something, but you know, none of there's no identifying information. Oh, there's not. Okay. No, I mean just their names. You don't even get their last names unless they, unless they write them in the text. And even like you know, there's one. Hey, Mr. Murdoch, my name is Brittany, and her last name's redacted, and where she's from. Oh, okay. Is redacted, All right. Which, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm gonna fess up. I did look on on social media and see if I could locate any of these ladies just yeah. out of genuine curiosity. I mean, yeah. maybe that's wrong. All you sure. have is like their name and their state or something. Yeah. yeah. Their name, their state and their last initial, like the first okay. letter of their last names. Gotcha. I did look up Lacey. Was it Lacey K? I tried to find yes. her. If you're listening, Lacey K, we'd love to talk to you and just hear a little bit about your motivation yeah. to, to talk, you know, and when we had Jay Bender on our podcast in the past, he felt like the, the jailhouse tapes were fair game. He thinks everything should be, oh yeah, should be available to the public. Yeah, I mean, I I understood the backlash that we got on those. I mean, I I could see, I can always see both sides of, you know, I can see both points of view on that. Um, but you know, as a media organization, you know, our our goal is to get information and release it. Um, this to me is a little less controversial but yeah of yeah. course we're going to get backlash on everything yeah i agree well it's been reported that Alec has been relocated to the mccormick correctional institute um that was reported i think by the new york post and maybe law and crime and this appears to be kind of a, a dangerous place i mean in 2020 there was inmate who was stabbed in 2017 there were some riots where there were inmates on top of the roof uh, do you plan on doing more requests for these type of records? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, I mean, for, I think it's fascinating. And I think people were really interested in it. I'm sure other outlets will start doing it too, which I to totally find. Um, but yeah, I think we'll probably keep checking those, you know, at least, you know, periodically to see, you know, what, what he's getting, what's, what people are sending them if they die off after, you know, because he isn't responding that I can tell. I believe Ellick's attorney, Jim Griffin, issued a statement. Matt, what did that say? Jim Griffin said 
He has no girlfriend in prison, out of prison, anywhere. He's received messages, letters, and a lot of support. To my knowledge, he's not responded to any of them. He's also received unsolicited contributions to his canteen account. Yes, I would be interested to see who's uh, put money on his canteen for him now. <laughs> his purchases on his canteen was another interesting FOIA. I, I mean, I was, I, that was a great FOIA. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, it is. It does feel a little bit voyeuristic, but it was nonetheless interesting. Oh, Dwayne what, wants to know yeah, what the, he bought. <laughs> so when he was in jail, he bought, um, I remember he bought um, the hot beef sticks. He really liked those. The ramen noodles are a big thing. Oh, yeah. um, you can buy, I think you can buy, um, you know, clothing, extra sets of clothing. He bought that. Um there was some kind of like chip mix that's only they really only make them for prison that he bought a lot of those i mean he bought I mean, it was basic stuff but it was just it was just interesting to see what he was spending that money on you know when we interviewed jim griffin he said that Alec really had not seen his family members since he was incarcerated in the fall i wonder what the visitation is like in the mccormick facility do you have any idea? Um, I mean, I think you have to register to visit them. Um, I don't know what the frequency is for visitors. Um, I do know that they do have in the South Carolina correctional facilities, they have access to inmate tablets. They're very locked down, but they're allowed to use the messaging system, which those messages from, you know, the ones we boyed came through that. They have limited ability to like research so they can, you know, if they're working on their appeal, they can do that. They do all their phone calls via that tablet. And then they also use it as, um, you know, if they get in trouble, they take it away for 30, 60 or 90 days. That's what I do with my kids. (laughs) It's nice to have that tablet. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, I want to talk a little bit about your big interview you had this week with Steve Peterson, who is a private investigator who does work with Andy Savage, who represented Sandy Smith, Stephen Smith's mother, for a brief period of time. What were your biggest takeaways with this interview? I I thought it was interesting listening to, I mean, first of all, listening to his investigative process. You know, I know he used to be a DEA agent and was working in the capacity of a private investigator. And just hearing, you know, he was boots on the ground with this. He was out there knocking on doors, doing doing the, you know, questioning of the people that had come up in that incident report. He was, you know, relaying information back to law enforcement. I think, I mean, I thought it was just interesting listening to all the work that he had done and what he had gathered, how he relayed that to the SLED investigation team. Um, to me, the most interesting thing that I thought the iPad was fascinating. I don't know what you guys thought, but, you know, the fact that he found out that these PIs had gone to Sandy and told them they were looking at Stephen's murder and asked for the iPad and she gave it to them, you know, mm-hmm. grateful for help. And it was destroyed when Sled went and did a search warrant for it. Unbelievable. We actually got a question on our Facebook page, Murdoch Podcast, this week about that. And I think a lot of people seem to be confused about this iPad, thinking that he is the person who took the iPad. But listening to the interview, it does not sound like he was. My understanding is that um, 
and the private investigators were working somehow they were connected to a um, man named Greg Roman and he was writing articles on the Murdoch case. And I don't know, you know, if they were hired by him or if they were tied to Greg Parker, but um, yeah, it wasn't definitely wasn't tied to Andy Savage or Steve Peterson. Steve Peterson just you know, had asked about the iPad and Sandy told him what happened and he tracked it down and provided that information to SLED so that they could go obtain it from them. Because the rumor for a while was that law enforcement of some sign, FBI or somebody had lost the iPad and then eventually found out that it was, what did he call him, Daryl and his other brother Daryl from... um, Daryl and Daryl. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) that were taking it. But they, um, yeah, I mean, I was on um, Nancy Grace with Eric Bland, and Eric Bland did um, confirm that SLED does have the iPad, and they are working on getting the information off of it. Okay. They also have Stephen's phone, and that was successfully opened, and they were able to download all of the information off of that. What we've learned from... Murdoch thing, uh, try the, the birth date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> took a good for, way. Because if Paul, Paul's phone took forever to open, they didn't think, maybe I should try his birthday. Well, another big takeaway I had by listening to the interview was that it doesn't appear that the Murdochs have any direct connection to the murder of Stephen Smith. Right. And that, I mean, I still don't know the source of that rumor. I mean, I I have a lot of friends in Hampton and they said that the rumor mill there is crazy. Most of the time it's fairly accurate, but I mean, from what, what Steve Peterson was telling, Will, it sounds like Buster and Paul were both confirmed to be out of the County that night that Stephen Smith was murdered. Wow. People may not want to hear it, but that's what he found. He has no reason to lie about it. Well, and I like what you're, boss will has said you know his job is to find the truth wherever it takes him right and you know i think i think i don't want to speak for sandy because you know she's a grieving mom and it's hard for me to put the put myself in her shoes but i think i think she just wants answers she wants to know what happened that night i mean it's not it wasn't no matter what happened he he was murdered. He was a victim of homicide, whether it was vehicular or, you know, some other manner. I, I think she wants to know what happened to him. She said that all along, that she wants to know the truth, whatever that may be. Yep. Right. And I, I pray that the exhumation and the autopsy, the second autopsy, does provide her with some answers. And it does sound, I mean, they're not talking a lot about it, but it does sound like it was productive and um, they were able to collect additional evidence from his body. So I, you know, I'm hopeful that, that it is because it had to have been traumatic for her as a mother. Yeah, absolutely. Let's hope that she gets the answers she needs sooner rather than later. Yep. Yeah. Jen, thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Well, we appreciate you coming on and tell us where we can read more about these jailhouse calls and the rest of the coverage that y'all are doing on Murdoch and many other things. Okay, so our website, it's Fitz News, F-I-T-S News, N-E-W-S dot com. And our social media, it's all that's we, you know, we post everything on Twitter and Facebook. So that's also all FitzNews.com as well. Perfect. All right. We'll talk to you soon.
All right. Thanks, Thanks Matt. Thanks, Seton. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And if you want to uh, reach out to us, where do they find us, Seton Tucker? You can find us on Facebook, which is Murdoch Podcast, or on our website, which is MurdochPodcast.com. Matt Harris, podcast at gmail.com as well. So we've got a case that will be debuting within the next few days. Uh, we'll continue with the Impact of Influence title. And this is the case of Shanquella Robinson. Here's a sneak peek. My mom um, was out and about somewhere, you know, and she called me and told me she had passed. I just start crying. I just holler. When he said alcohol poison, I wasn't going for that. Nah, you ain't gonna tell me no. You're not gonna tell me no alcohol poison. <clears throat> not at all. You see my daughter, but she everybody's daughter. She your daughter. But this father right here is the word that I heard. <laughs> Cause I can't see her. Can't hear a voice. But in due time, God's gonna bring you to the head. It's coming. You know. It's coming. For these friends to come and snatch her life from up under her like that, it's just cold-hearted, and it just told me up. It took a lot. Those families that those kids belong to, they about to suffer, hurt, just like I am. Look for season two of Impact of Influence, the Shaquilla Robinson case, coming soon. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface, to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people, to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy, and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together, we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.